I want to speak this morning, continuing our series that I believe we're going to be on for the next few weeks, on the strategies of Satan. And uh, there's really four purposes, and I'm going to probably get through one of them today, of Satan's strategies that he has uh, perfected over thousands of years that he's had with mankind. And again, when we talk about Satan, please hear me, that we are not glorifying Satan. We are not giving him more due than what he's worth. We are just simply knowing who our adversary is. We are not bringing praise to him. He, has, he is worthy of no praise. He is evil. He is deceitful. He is a liar. He is evil. And there is nothing good in him. So I am not in any way, shape, or form giving him any credit. Okay? So let's just understand that. But it is important also that we do understand who he is so that we're not taken down a path of deception through him. Last week we discovered that Satan was created a perfect angel. In fact, one of the most perfect angels in his original creation. The Bible says just that in Ezekiel 28:12. It says, "Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty." That was Lucifer. He was perfect in his creation. But we all know that he didn't stay there. When Lucifer fell, his image was distorted by the evil that entered his heart. And his, and his wisdom, that was perfect as well, full of wisdom, it turned from being perfect in heavenly wisdom to becoming the foundation of worldly wisdom which is based on lies and deceptive philosophies. I think it's so important that we recognize that in his perfection, in his fall, he came so far the opposite direction from where he was that now he is the epitome of evil. In his perfection, he was perfect. In his fall, the distortion is so great, there is nothing left within him that has anything at all to do with perfection. It's evil and it's bad and it's wrong and it's to the ultimate degree. In fact, typically, um, it's the same thing with us. Think of our strengths, our personality types. When given over to the extremes, which is where Satan uses them, by the way, they also become our weaknesses. In the same way Satan's heavenly strengths became his earthly weaknesses, ours do as well. For example... The personality trait of being easygoing and carefree, their strength is that that person doesn't get too overwound up and he doesn't lose control of the situation. His weakness, however, is that they don't do anything or they become complacent and fearful. So taking that personality trait in its strength is good, but in its weakness is that they become complacent and do nothings. They might think of it, but they don't do it. And they don't accomplish anything. Another, another example is a trait of a person that is confidence and self-assured. The strength there is that they are a take-charge personality and they get things done. They're productive. The weakness, however, is they become proud of their accomplishments and arrogant in their own way of doing things. The trait of a person that is a jovial personality, a happy person that likes to be the life of the party, the strength we see there in that situation is that they are 
always willing to laugh or to make others laugh, to lighten the load, to be, to be, um, to be a breath of fresh air in a tough situation. Their weakness, though, is that that's all they do is laugh. And they take nothing seriously. Everything's a joke. It becomes all about them. They have to be the life of the party. Or if they're not, they get angry and upset and moody and self-absorbed. So do you see where I'm going with this? That what God created is good. If we take it to the extreme of the enemy, he will take what is good and make it turn it into be a distorted form of evil. And that's what happened to Satan. And that's where we're at today. So the enemy works in our personality traits. And he takes the good that God has created and he turns it into a twisted, demented format. And then he uses it against us. So we must be careful. We must be on guard then of Satan's ploys against us. And I want to talk about a couple things regarding this. First of all, we know from previous teachings that there are two kinds of wisdom. There is a heavenly wisdom and there is a worldly wisdom. If you turn in your Bible to James chapter 3... I have quite a few verses, as usual. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. It says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. See, that's the devil's form of wisdom. He has wisdom, but it's not of godly wisdom. It's of earthly wisdom. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So there are two forms of wisdom and they are diametrically opposed. They are not even close to being the same. So, with, so understanding that we do have two forms of wisdom, we must be careful of which we partake of. It's not enough just to be wise, but we must choose of which wisdom we are going to learn from. Which wisdom are we going to partake of? And this is where I want to begin this section of teaching about Satan. He has four purposes in his arsenal of warfare against mankind. And they are, number one, the deceiver. He's a deceiver. Number two, he's a destroyer. Number three, he's a ruler. And number four, he's an accuser. He's a, he's a deceiver, a destroyer, a ruler, and an accuser. And so the next, over the next weeks or so, we're going to spend time on these basic tactical strategies of Satan in our lives. And I'm basing a good portion of this study on a couple books that I've been reading, one written by Warren Worsby, called The Strategy of Satan, and another one written by Dennis McCallum called Satan and His Kingdom. And then I have one other one called The Bible. And I spend most of my time in the Bible, but it's nice to have other interpretations and other people's perspectives, and these have been very good books and they're very interesting books, and so I'm learning many things from those books, and I hope that I can teach you and some of these things as well. Number one, Satan's first tactic is to deceive us in being the deceiver. There's many scriptures that give us occurrence that tell us that Satan is himself deceived and he's in the business of lying and deceiving. Revelations 12:9 in the English Standard Version it says, "And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world." 
He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. John chapter 8, verse 44. The second part of that verse says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The Bible is very clear that the enemy that we're up against is a deceiver and he's a liar. And now we want to talk about how he deceives us. The question that I have for us is what area is he deceiving in our hearts, in our lives? Where is the area that he's attacking? What's his primary target in our life with his deception? Primarily, his primary target is our mind. He deceives in our thinking and in our perceptions. He, and he's smart enough to know that he has to be subtle in these attacks. Why would he attack our mind? Why would he attack our mind? Well, one reason and possibly the main reason is that that is also where God communicates with us. God speaks thoughts into our mind, both through ideas and through thoughts, as well as through his written word. And if Satan can somehow get into our mind and apply a filter of how we hear God's voice, and if he can put a worldly spin on, on what we're hearing so that we should process that information in a worldly perspective, then he has an opportunity to hinder God's intentions for us. So Satan plays heavily in our mind. And we see this happening all around us. Look at the TV sitcoms and, and the worldly influence around us. What are they promoting? They're promoting certainly not godly principles in family values or in the respect of what God has established. So Satan is using this as a way of conditioning our minds so that when God does speak truth into us, we don't see it as truth, but we see it as some foreign concept, something that's old-fashioned, out of date, not fitting in with our culture today. We're in the 21st century. Things are different. So we're being conditioned by the media. We're being conditioned by, by many mainline Christian de denominations, by mainline Christian teaching that we're to condition what God's Word says so that it doesn't bring us pain. It doesn't bring us truth. It brings us a feel-good. It brings us a sense of accomplishment in which we shouldn't be feeling sense of accomplishment in because it's not all truth. And that's where Satan wants to spin it. Paul talked about this to a degree in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He said, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The contemporary English version translation says it this way, I'm afraid that you might stop thinking about Christ in an honest and sincere way. See, the devil doesn't really care if we think about God. He just doesn't want us to think about him in an honest and sincere way. He wants us to think about God in some distortion, in some way that God really isn't on our side. And it's just like we've all heard the saying, nip it in the bud. As we begin to get bad ideas... We should nip it in the bud. We should not let it grow. Well, Satan has the same strategy for you and I. 
He has the same strategy that, that his plan is to nip things in the bud when it comes for us learning godly things. And when us trying to get God in our mind, the enemy is right there to, to spin it, to turn it, to twist it, to distort it from a godly perspective. So by Satan implanting these preconceived notions or opinions of who God is and beginning to place questions of what is God's true intentions for us, he can begin to influence the instruction and the guidance that God is giving us. Now, why do I say that? Because Satan has influence in our thought and in our mind. Satan cannot read your mind. He does not know what you're thinking, but he can implant things or he can steal things from you. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19 says... When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, or Satan, comes and snatches away that what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So Satan has an active place. He has the ability to be in my mind and the ability to be in your mind. And the mind is a very active place for Satan to dwell in and have access to. And if we're not careful... He can do a lot of damage in our thought life, which translates into your actions, which becomes who you are and what you become. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think, you become. So understand, where are the thoughts coming from? Understand, Satan has a strategy, Satan has a place, and he has the ability to be in your mind. The doctor says, you are what you eat. The psychologist says you are what you think. And Satan knows the tremendous power of your mind, and he is trying to capture it for himself. If he has your mind, he has a big step in getting your soul. And like we said earlier, he is smart enough to know that he has to be subtle in these attacks. Even though Satan is not omniscient, meaning he can't be all places at all times, he does have the ability to get to know who you are. He, is, he, is, uh, he has a, a, assembled a vast army. When he fell from, from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him, a third of heavenly hosts with him, millions and millions and millions of angels. I don't, we, nobody knows how many millions of angels. We don't, we're not told that, but you'd rest in assured it's a lot. And he took those, and they are now demons on his, in his army, and he's very, he's very organized. He's very structured. He has a very uh, well-functioning army of demons. And here's how Satan works with his demons. This is how he gets to know you. I believe that he has demons assigned to you like angels are assigned to you from God. And these demons follow you wherever you go. And they are watching you constantly. And they're getting to know your personality. They're getting to know who you are. They're getting to know how you react. They plant things in your mind. And then they watch you. How did you react to that? How did you handle that temptation? Did you push it off? Did you stand against it? Or did you play with it? See, and so by them, by them practicing different things on you, they're getting to know you very well. Again, they, they can't read your mind, but they can observe what's going on around you. They can understand how you handle certain situations. And that's why it's so important that when we have problems come into our life, it's how we react to those problems are so important because that's what the enemy's watching. He's observing you, how you handle temptation. 
He's observing you how you handle peer pressure. He's observing you how you handle a problem with your wife or a problem on your job or your submission to your boss or whatever it is. He's watching and he's constantly adjusting his strategy against you depending upon how you react to certain situations. So it's very important then that you know that the situations that God allows to come to your life are for a reason and a lot of the reason is to defeat the enemy. But you have to reply it. You have to apply godly principles, as Jane instructed us earlier today, that we put on the full armor of God. And we take it up and we take our stance against the enemy because our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual warfare. And so we have to be careful then that we do not let him have an influence on us other than we are going to surgically remove his influence by our ability to react towards him in a godly fashion. Amen? So Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let, give the devil a foothold. He doesn't need a beachhead. He just needs to get his big toe. He just needs to get a little bit into you, and all of a sudden he has access. So we have to be careful. The problem with deception of the mind is many times we're not even aware that we're deceived. We're not even aware. And that's why we are, and, and we're so convinced that when God does bring his direction to our lives, that we're not really willing to listen to it. We're not willing to receive it because we're so caught up in our own level of deception that we don't even know that we are. So I want to talk about three areas in the process of deception. Three areas in the process of deception that we can watch for in our lives. And that we can then take in our lives and we can apply them so the devil does not get a foothold in our lives. Okay? Number one, doubt. The devil brings doubt. Number three, he brings denial. And then number three comes deception. But I want to start with doubt. I want to talk about doubt for a minute. Before Satan can get you to disobey God's word or his instruction for you, he has to get you to doubt God's word. He has to get you to doubt its authenticity its reality, its level of importance, and its meaning for today. He needs to get you to say, that's really not what God meant. He needs to bring some level of doubt to you. Satan's strategies, as we'll see, are very predictable, but yet they're very effective. He has had thousands of years to perfect them versus our very short lifespan to defend against them. Okay? He's practiced on a lot of people before you. So understand, he knows what he's doing. Let's understand what his strategies are. And he began with Eve, and he hasn't changed much since because he doesn't have to change, because it still works just as good today as it worked then. His deception is just as strong today as it was when he did with Eve. Verse, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, I know we've talked about this in the past, but I think there's some points here we need to bring up again. Genesis chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? That's the first thing the devil brings. Did God really say? All it is, it's a little bit of doubt. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Satan asked a question that he already knew the answer to. When he asked Eve, he knew exactly what he was doing. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree? See, what he was doing was, see, he knew the rules. Satan knew the biblical rules. He knew the Bible. He knew what it said. But he wanted to test Eve to see if she did. By the answer that she gave him, he knew that she really didn't know the rules because her answer was more than God said. God never said they couldn't touch the fruit. He just said you couldn't eat the fruit. So by her not giving a biblical, factual answer back, Satan knew he had a place. He knew now I have an area to work in her life because she doesn't know the facts. She's going on her opinions and that's so dangerous for us today. The point is that if Satan would have answered Satan, I mean, if Eve would have answered Satan with a factual answer from God's word, rather than her opinionated version of her own version of God's word, she might have been able to prevent the devil's further effect in getting her to doubt God's word. And the devil, by misquoting God's word, he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, what he was trying to do is he was trying to throw doubt into Eve's mind that God was taking away all of her sustenance. That God was saying, no, you can't eat any of the fruit, Eve. Do you see, he's trying to say God is a mean God. He's a God that wants to take away from you. It was a clever tactic of the devil to get her attention on what God forbade from them rather than all the blessings God had for them. If Eve would have only stood her ground based on God's word, things might have been different for her and for us. But Satan was clever. He came to introduce doubt into Eve's mind of the goodness and fairness of God. The first step in deception is satanic deception. In his deception is sowing seeds of doubt in a person's mind about God's word. Did he really say you couldn't eat of any tree? No. See, Satan knew God only meant one tree, but he deliberately misquoted God's word to make it seem that God was overly restrictive and demanding. He was planting ideas in Eve's mind that God was an overbearing, over-restrictive, over-demanding God, and that it's your right, Eve, to stand up for what you want. It's your right to stand up against this because God is taking away from you. Obviously, God doesn't want you to really enjoy life. You might as well take what you want now and deal with God later. Does that sound familiar to us today? Does that sound like our culture today? Drink, eat, and be merry. Live the way you want to live. We live, under a, we, we live in a state of grace. Therefore, live like you want to live now and ask for forgiveness later. Do you hear Satan in that? Do you hear our culture in that? Do you see why he hasn't changed his ideas at all? Because his deception works just as well today as it did then. And we fall for it. Doubt of truth 
of God's word. That's why we must stay in the truth. That's why we must deal in truth. Doubt of truth brings a basis for confusion and thus opens the door to Satan's twisted version of his own truth. If we don't know the truth of God's word, then we're opening the door for the Satan to come in and bring all kinds of confusion on his twisted version of God's word. When we question God's word, we begin to question the truth of God's word, the plain and simple truth of the consequences of sin and the inherent death that brings, then we bring confusion into our lives. God's word, God's word is very clear. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 7, verse 11, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God's word is true, and it's very straightforward. And it's only when we begin to question God's word because we think it's too hard, too demanding, too out of date, too old-fashioned, that our opinion becomes more important than God's word. That is the beginning of death in your life. Who am I to hold my opinion as more important and more accurate for today's world than God's word? Who am I? And when I, if, I, if, if that's me, then no wonder my life is upside down. No wonder that my life is not going right. Because when I start putting my opinion over God's word, I am just inviting the devil to come in and play with my life. I'm just inviting to him to come in and bring all kinds of turmoil, stress, and, tr and problems. The second area of, this, of process in this process of deception is denial. Once Satan gets you to question th through your doubts of God's goodness and his intentions, once he does that, he brings you to a stage of denial in God's word that it just isn't true for you. It might be for somebody else. Genesis 3, 4, he said, you surely... You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. I mean, Satan now, he's got the doubt planted in her mind. Now he's bringing full-fledged denial. And once you're to the point that Satan is so bold to come out and actually deny God's word, it's a slippery slope from doubting God to agreeing with the denial that Satan quickly brings right on the heels of introducing the doubt. When we have already placed our opinion of the situation over God's word in the form of doubt and then further complicate it with our own need for self-satisfaction and self-approval, we are doomed for self-destruction because it's all becoming about us. It's all about me, not God. You know what that is? That is a form of idolatry and that is sin. Satan, here's the key, Satan doesn't care what kind of sin he gets me wrapped up in. As long as it's sin, he's happy. It doesn't, he doesn't care what it is. Therefore, our ultimate goal is to stay in submission and total obedience to God's word and not let Satan take us down the road of deception through doubt and denial. Satan wants to keep us so wrapped up and, and he wants to keep us envisioning that God's word 
is to keep us from, from enjoying life, that it's so restrictive, it's so demanding, it's so overbearing. Satan twists the commands of God into one of two things. Either we flat out reject it as being too restrictive and out of line for today's culture. We've grown past that in our high-tech society in this modern age. These requirements of God are old-fashioned. They were from our grandparents and, and, our, and our parents before. And what amazes me in this line of thinking is, why would God change? Why would he change? We change, but why would God change? The word is very clear about God, that God never changes. Therefore, his word never changes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3, 6, and 7, I, the Lord, do not change. I do not change. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So we just flat out reject God's word because it's too restrictive and out of line for today. Or we shrug off the commandment It says, as a mere suggestion, and it really doesn't fit me. It really fits somebody else. They're not, I'm not as bad as they are. I'm already a Christian. Therefore, God, you must be talking to that sinner over there. No. He's not talking to the sinner. He's talking to us. God will forgive me after I sin. That's a common, common thing that we say. And the fact of the matter, yes, God will forgive me after I sin. But not if I, but, 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 but hear me. Not, I don't plan my life to sin so that God can forgive me. I plan my life to live a holy life, to be a royal priesthood, to be a sanctified, to be set apart, to be a peculiar people. And then when I fall, God forgives God forgives. He forgives. Amen. I'm glad he does. And then the final outcome of this is deception. So we've been through doubting. We're in denial. Then comes the big deception word. And that's where we've, once we've allowed Satan that much access to our minds, and virtually the battle is over. The battle is over for him because we never can outwit or outthink Satan in our own power. We can never outwit him. He may, be, he may not be as powerful as God, and we know that, and thank God that he's not, but he's much more powerful than I can handle. I cannot stand against him on my own, and neither can you. You must have the Holy Spirit in your life. And the dangerous thing for all of us is when we are deceived, we don't even know it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be deceived. And here's what happens. Sometimes it takes someone or something to show us that we're deceived. And this is where people become easily offended by others, and even by God. See, in some cases, God uses people in our lives to help us see the areas of our deception. And in other situations, it may be life's events or tragedies. The fact is, no one likes to be corrected. Even if we're wrong in our hearts, and we know that we're wrong, it's a hard thing to face the truth that we're wrong. Nobody likes to say, I'm sorry. That's not a favorite word in our vocabulary. And that's something else the enemy knows about us, that he knows that. And he, and he plays that big time in our mind. But this is where the pain comes in. Because God loves us so much that he disciplines us in, as his children. And we all know that discipline is not fun. And that's why it's called discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, 5, verses, uh, 5 through 11, it says this. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, 
Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God disciplines all of us. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Ron, you did a really good job. Really good. Uh, you're, you're, you're teaching forever, Ron. You're never out of it now. <laughs> You did really well, seriously. And in that, we talked about God's discipline. We all are going to be disciplined. I don't care how good we are. We're never good enough that we can escape God's discipline because we're not perfect. So when God disciplines you, understand that that's a good thing for you because God loves you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't discipline you. He disciplines us for our good and for our benefit. And this is where people get their... Shorts all tied up in their undie a little bit here because they, they think, well, why is somebody attacking me? Why am I being attacked? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why is God mad at me? God's not mad at you. He loves you. He's allowing things to happen and he's trying to get your attention. He wants us to know that he will discipline us and it's supposed to be that way and it's supposed to be painful. I don't like that word. I don't like pain. I don't like stress. I don't like it. But I can't change it. I wish I could. For me and for you. But I can't. So therefore, I endure it. And I learn from it. And I say, God, teach me your statutes. Teach me your ways in this. I am your servant. As it says in Psalms, I am your servant. Teach me your ways so that I will know your testimonies. Teach me your statutes. Deal with me according to your steadfast love that I would know your statutes and that I would know your testimonies. Teach me what you want me to learn in this situation. Discipline me as you would. Love me as you would. And so then we don't get caught up in the fact that God is being hard on us. Don't let the enemy bring in a doubt. Don't let him bring in an area of deception in your mind that God is doing this because he's mad at you. No, God's not mad at you. God loves you. He loves you with all he has. He loves you with enough to send Jesus to die for you. What's the choice that you're making today? Just be glad that God loves you enough to discipline you. See, Satan's take on this is that God's discipline is angry and mean and he's meant to harm you. You would say you would accuse God in your mind, and this is where another accusation of another tactic of the enemy, which we'll get to later, is that he will accuse God in your mind and bring false accusations to you. Things like, if God really loved you, he wouldn't make you go through this. You deserve better than this. Look at him or her. Why don't they have to go through that? All this kind of stuff. And that really brings us to the next second major strategy of Satan, and that is where Satan becomes the destroyer. Now that he's got us to doubt God's word, deny God's word, he's, we're in full-fledged deception, then he comes in with a destruction mentality to destroy us. 
That'll be for the next time we get together. I won't be, have time to do that today. But today, as we conclude today, I want to challenge us all in the area of asking God to help us to be honest with ourselves and to really to reveal in our own personal lives the areas that we're deceived in. Do you think you're deceived? Close your eyes if you would with me, please. Do you think you're deceived? If you don't think you're deceived, you may be deceived. Now, I'm not trying to get anybody to question their salvation here. I'm not talking about that. I know that Jesus lives in your heart. But that doesn't mean the devil doesn't play in your mind. Ephesians 6.12 goes right exactly what the word came to us before. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Understand, Satan is out to deceive you. He is out to lie to you. He is out to bring condemnation to you. He is out to bring ultimate destruction for you. We are victors in Jesus Christ. And as we then see that personally and corporately, we recognize that our struggle is not against people. It's not against my spouse, not against my daughter or my son, not against my employer, not against another person in this church or in the community that we live in, but our struggle is against the devil. So what we need to do then as a church as a corporate body, is we need to combine our prayer, combine our love and our mercy, exactly what the Sunday school class was today in Micah and the, and, the, and the minor prophets, that we come before God with mercy and grace because he is so encompassing and he has compassion for us. And compassion, as, was, as what Sandra defined for us so well, was the ability to do something about it. That's what God has for us. So my prayer then today, as we close the service, is that we all have enough integrity, we all have enough authenticity, and we all care enough about our eternal destination that we are bold enough to be honest, as Kerm was today, in our own areas of failure. Not to be a defeatist person, but to bring it in truth and honesty before the cross. When we do that with a truly repentant heart, God heals, God restores, and God brings back the years of locusts of Eden, and he will make it good when he makes it good. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, how you bring things alive and quick to us. And Lord, I just pray for all of us in this building this morning and in our church body and our families, that even those that aren't here today, Lord, that your spirit would go out to all of us and do a little surgery in us, Father. Open up the areas that we need to be honest in. Lord, open up the areas, Lord, that maybe we're hiding from you, thinking that we're hiding from you. Open up the areas, Lord, where the devil has been efficient and he's been, and he's been very surgically accurate in his own right to bring us deception. 
Lord, reveal those areas in our heart and life so that we then can do something about them and that we can deal with that and that we can bring our life under full submission to you for our spiritual heritage that's beyond and before us. Holy Spirit, I give you the authority to do this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.